Welcome to Spirit Radio. I am your host, Willie Hassel. Along with my co-host, Lynn Nickerson, we will take you on a journey, a journey into the unknown where the paranormal becomes the normal, a journey to a world cloaked in darkness where reality becomes a thin veil. So sit back, relax, and join us as we venture into the shadows, the darkness, the unknown, and back. to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience. I'm Willie Hassel, along with the lovely, the mystical, the mysterious, Lynn Dickerson. Good evening. That How would are you? be me. That would be you. How are you doing? The only, the one and only, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm doing good. How are you? Great. Although, actually, I asked first this time, but that's okay. I'll okay. Let it, I'll let it slide. You're doing fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, you know what? I heard a rumor. I don't know if this is true. Okay, you, you, what? You might have, uh, you know, might be able to back this up. Or, I don't listen to gossip, you know. but tell me what you're thinking about. <laughs> Fine, never mind. I'm not going to tell you. Oh, now you piqued my interest. Oh, okay. Hey, the audience wants to know, so you better yeah. tell me. Well, I heard a rumor that next week on the show that the uh, little weather elf might be joining us once again. Oh, no have kidding. You, have you heard about that? Well, Willie, you always hear the latest. I always hear the yeah, latest. Yeah, or or usually, am I always the latest to hear it? I, I don't know. The first. No. <laughs> I uh, think I'm the latest to hear I it. I kind of suspected that she was making a trip heading south. Yeah. Yep. And given the fact that she's just so enamored with you uh, that I well, suspected she was coming. Well, she's so sweet. She, well, she can be. Yeah, yeah she can be. <laughs> not, not always. Not always. But she can be. And I just, I just love those oh, little, little short skirts that she wears. And, I know it is a know. cute outfit yeah, she has on. I know, yeah. So I'll keep my fingers well, crossed. The Whoa. thing is, every time she comes, Willie, she talks to you, and she doesn't pay attention to me. Well, I notice every time she comes, you get up and leave. Well, I, it's because so. of her attitude. <laughs> oh, is, is that what it is? <laughs> attitude. Okay. Well, we'll just. We'll just see about that then. Want me to speak to her if she does come? Yeah, I would like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell her that you're really, you're good. You know? Okay, she, you know what? I'd like to talk with her she, too. She can talk to you. Oh, okay. okay. I'll, I'll mention that if she does come. Because she might, she might uh, not, you know, 
Well, you know, depends I, if that depends if that guy in the red suit can. can well, I was just going to say, I I'd like to pump her for information on the guy in the red suit and see how he's doing. Yeah, <laughs> and if he's going to pay me a visit, yeah, or you too. See if he's got our addresses on his list. Huh? <laughs> yeah, okay. You got it. Hey, tonight on Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience. Every now and then, we like to take a show and not schedule a guest, so we can just kind of sit here and have a little conversation on our own. And hey, you're all welcome to uh, to listen in. It's not a private conversation. So this week, we thought that we would like to talk about hauntings in the line of duty. Uh, men and women in uniform are in that position to see just about everything from the best of the worst of humanity. But it is not just the living that they have to deal with. Sometimes it is the unseen, those cases where they are dealing with the strange world of the paranormal. So tonight... We have some stories from the files of the law enforcement that we thought would be interesting to our listeners. Hey, they certainly captured our interest, so mm. let's give it a shot. In a lot of these stories, it's not only law enforcement officers like the, the cop who walks the beat, but it also includes corrections officers or security guards right. uh, for different companies or and, dispatchers. and property and dispatchers, yeah. They get to see a lot of strange stuff, too. Well, they may not actually see it, but they, see they hear it. See or encounter a lot of strange stuff. And then they, yeah. then they send the other guys out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, some of them refuse to go back. Yeah, I know. It. And you I, can't I've blame them. No, no, I would probably think twice myself. Because some of them get burglary calls or um, yeah. just noise calls, and they investigate, and creepy things happen, and then they just refuse to... Go back there. <laughs> Write it off as nothing. You know what would be whoops, the perfect scenario? What would that be? Perhaps to be a police officer and a paranormal investigator. Uh, that would be, well, yes, yeah, some of them are. This is true. Yeah. This How's my true. volume? Your volume is, uh, is fine. Sounds muted to me. Well, turn your, turn I your did. little knob thing I did, there. but it's still the same. Uh, we'll, maybe we'll my give you ear. a little bit more. Yeah, okay, maybe there is a plug. Yeah, okay. No, they aren't, Willie. <laughs> oh, just a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> my I mean, ears are just fine, thank you. I wasn't insinuating anything. Just, just, oh, sure, merely, sure. just sure. merely making a suggestion. You never know. <laughs> well, shall I start off with the first one? Uh, I was kind of hoping maybe you would. Okay, while good. While I get myself... Uh, uh, organized here. yeah <laughs> and situated yeah. um kind of discombobulated you know okay i'll give you so a couple of minutes word, to huh? uh relax yeah, yeah that's a real good word yeah. did you look that up in the dictionary no okay but you used it correctly so you're off the hook um <laughs> i'm tied up in the microphone cord okay all right aside from that um most well actually all of them tonight my stories are from cops, true stories of the paranormal, ghosts, UFOs, and other shivers that has been edited and written by Lauren W. Christensen. Now, some of these accounts he has taken from the Internet or he's taken from newspapers, and some of them also appear in, um, what is it, Spirit of the Badge by Ingrid mm-hmm. P. Dean. Right. Um, so, yeah, there are a couple of duplicates, but for the most part... I'm taking my sources from that particular book by Christensen. And the first story is called Vanished. And this has got to be probably my most favorite 
of all times as far as the cop stories. And how I'm evaluating favorite or the best is by the shocking information um, that is is an excellent example of um, life after death, the continuation of life after death, okay. it, because it's um, it's undeniable. And from a you know a hardened cop's point of view, it must be really hard to reconcile with his sense of logic. So. It's called Vanished. It's actually written by Carrie L. Wood. He submitted this story, of course, for um, for Christensen's book. So it starts off with uh, Carrie L. Wood saying, I served on the Roanoke Police Department, and that must be Roanoke, Virginia, for 27 years, retiring in 2002 as a detective sergeant. In the mid-1980s, my partner, David Raglan, and I were working a burglary detail patrolling in uniform in an unmarked van. It was just before twilight when we spotted a suspicious-looking vehicle moving slowly through a neighborhood. We began to tail him, thinking he was possibly casing the houses, but he quickly caught on that we were behind him, and we both took off at a high rate of speed. We called in for a uniformed cruiser to stop him, though he was doing um, 70 miles an hour. We did our best to keep up with him and keep him in our sights as we followed in the unmarked vehicle. Um, the pursuits are always risky, and it's never good to travel that fast. But as quickly as the pursuit started, it came to an abrupt, explosive end. For whatever reason, the driver navigated his two tons of steel, chrome, and rubber straight into the concrete archway. Dave, Ouch. Yeah, I know. Dave Raglan and I were about 200 feet behind the speeding car when it crashed, and we both watched in shock as the destroyed vehicle lifted about two feet into the air. We remained in control in our van and stopped a ways behind the crash. Equally shocking was when the suspect driver, a white male, about 5'10 and husky at 180 pounds, squeezed out of the small driver's window, seemingly unscathed, and dashed off into the tunnel. As longtime partners are disposed to do, we didn't waste a second talking about it, but we just took off at a dead run after the man. He was running hard, and so were we, but we never lost sight of him. We managed to close the distance and got close enough to see him clearly. That is, until he vanished. We stopped and just looked around and said, what the heck? There were no exits in the tunnel, period. We looked all around. We examined every inch of the passageway, but there was simply no trace of him, none. We were disconcerted and confused as we reluctantly headed back to the tunnel's entrance. As we neared the crash site, we could see our van, and then we could see the totaled suspect's car. And we could also see the driver, the suspect. It was the same man, clothes, height, and weight that we'd just been chasing. But he was sitting in the car, in the driver's seat, behind the steering wheel. But ironically, the steering wheel and the dashboard had been crushed against his chest. He was dead. Shocked, we managed to call for a supervisor and a traffic unit to come to the scene. We told the supervisor what had occurred, how we had spotted the suspicious vehicle, pursued it, witnessed the crash, and ran after the driver. But we lost him when he simply vanished right in front of us. 
only to find him a few minutes later behind the wheel of his car. So you could see their dilemma. So the supervisor was an older and wiser man, especially wise in the ways of the department and how other cops think. He told us to write our reports, but leave out all references to us pursuing the dead man on foot. In short, don't say anything about the chase. Don't say anything about chasing the spirit or whatever it was. So they left that portion out of their report. So uh, Carrie continues on. He says, Dave Raglan and I are both retired now and we're still friends, although he has no opinion on what we saw, saw and neither do I. Both of us have discussed it with uh, his minister, but no explanation has come forth from him either. That is, no explanation other than we saw and chased the actual spirit of the deceased driver still fleeing from the police. But whatever you do, don't put it in the report. Don't put it in the report. That's a, that's a cool story. I, I remember that one. It really is that they had, um, you know, a, they clearly chased a dead man running down the, yeah. the tunnel and and he just vanishes. You know. Well, you know, you can't catch a dead man. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Okay. Scientifically proven. You're wise as well, Willie. <laughs> Thank you for adding that. You're welcome. <laughs> Um, what must have happened when you think about it that he died so quickly and instantly that his spirit just simply didn't catch up with the action and he yeah. jumped out of the car. Yeah, he didn't know he was dead. He yet. didn't know yeah. he was dead. Since but what, at what point does his consciousness realize that he's dead? Because after that real adrenaline rush when he's running down the tunnel, all of a sudden he vanishes. What is that point that he reaches that he vanishes? What causes that? Yeah, but we don't really know that even when he vanished that he realized he was dead. I mean, he may have just been continuing on into but it, that what, parallel what happened, whatever it was. What happened in that act where he vanishes? Why does he vanish from sight? I don't know. What change took place? I, it just mystifies me. How do you understand that? I, I don't understand it. I don't pretend to understand it. But wouldn't you like but to? I, yeah, I would we, like we to. We might understand if uh, we discussed it, but... I, I would like <laughs> to understand it, but uh, I, I don't really want to get to that point where I actually do? find out the answer. Uh, you you're know? afraid you might disappear? Well, I mean, mm. you've you got to be dead to get to that point where you find out the answer. Are you sure? Is what I'm, is what I'm saying. Are you sure? <laughs> Hey, I'm, not, I'm not sure about anything now. You got me wondering. You know, I don't even know if the uh, weather elf is coming. Well, don't ever stop uh, thinking because they might declare your brain dead and then you might disappear. <laughs> uh, I think I was declared brain dead one time, but <laughs> but you're still with us. Yeah, I came back. But I love that story because it's just shocking to uh, to the senses to try and understand. Yeah. It's a good example of uh, life after death. It is. It's, mm. it's a, yeah. Even the poor minister didn't have an explanation. No. no, hey, they don't always have the answer. They don't either. always no. have the answer, do they? I, mean, I think in, in this case, they're probably less likely to have the answers, <laughs> to tell you the truth. But then again, I don't know. That also, they probably uh, just don't want to say. It, well, I think they might have a hint, but they, I don't think they entirely understand it. Uh, but that story also appeared in Ingrid P. Dean's mm. book called Spirit of the Badge. Spirit of the Spirit Badge. Spirit of the Badge. Hey, 
I found this one on a website called ghostsandghouls.com. Ghosts and ghouls? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, don't, don't go by the name. Okay. And it is a police story, and it's, uh, it's titled The Door at the End of the Hall. And uh, this officer writes that myself and a buddy on my squad responded to an alarm. The incident location was an old office-type building that had been converted to doctor's offices, and there was also a pharmacy attached to it. So our dispatch received a motion signal from an upstairs office, and we arrived at the location, and the key holder arrived on scene, and we go in to uh, secure the, bis- the building. And the stairs were locked behind a door that, of course, the key holder didn't have a, lock- a key for. So we took the elevator up to the second floor, not the most tactically sound option, I know, mm-hmm. but that's what we had to do. So the elevator doors opened to a pitch-black hallway, all except for one overhead light at the far end of the hall. So we started checking the doors, and so far all was secured. We get to the last office, and sure enough, the door is unlocked. We make entry and observe it is an unused office. The door opened to a sizable waiting room and reception area. There were about 10 to 12 exam rooms, which uh, we all we cleared them all with no problems. We then exited the office, and immediately something seemed a little bit off. That's when I realized that the overhead light at our end of the building, our end of the hallway uh, that was on, was now off. But it was replaced by the light down at the far end by the elevators. Ooh. Yeah. So, and then at that point, I looked at my squad mate, and he is completely white. I asked him, what's wrong? He says, well, weren't all these doors we just checked, closed, and locked? Uh, well, yeah, they were. He then says, well, now they're all standing open. Oh. So, sure enough, all the offices down the hall we had just checked were now standing open. So we start clearing the offices and securing offices once again. We finish the last office, and on our way out, just before we turn the corner, to get into the waiting area, the main door slams behind us. Ugh. And then, then our radios start going nuts with some kind of static feedback. Now I just want to get the hell out of there. <laughs> that was my main goal oh. at this point. So anyway, we got back on the elevator and headed down to the first floor to make contact with the key holder once again. At least the elevator was still working. Yeah, that's that's a good thing, I guess. Uh, however, when we got down there, uh, the key holder was nowhere to be found. So I contacted the dispatch and uh, requested a callback number for the key holder so I can advise him of what we found. It was then that dispatch stated to me that the key holder was still en route to us and was advising an ETA of five minutes. So I advised dispatch, uh, no, he was just here. Uh, we talked to him. He let us in. So dispatch says, give me a call on the phone. So I called dispatch, and she tells me there is no way that we were out there with the key holder. She states the alarm company had only just made contact with one. And eventually, the real key holder arrives on scene, and I ask her about the man that had let us into the building, the first key holder. So she asked me to describe him. Uh-oh. Mm. Uh-oh. And she states, that sounds like one of the doctors that used to lease the office on the second floor, the, the office at the end of the hall. 
She then, then states that he committed suicide at his oh. summer home several days ago. I won't go back there. Oh, yeah, and what I don't a blame sad you. story. It is. It's a sad story. It's also oh. a spooky story. So was the doctor that was there with the keys, what was it, like a key ring or was it a universal key or what? It was a key to get into the building, but not into the hallway where the stairs were. So that's why they had to take the elevator. But And the guy obviously looked like flesh and blood. Yeah. Well, yeah. They talked to him. He let him in. They went upstairs. That's another thing that I don't understand. You know, you expect ghosts to be blurry or transparent, and then there are full-bodied apparitions that look as solid as you and I. Yeah. I know. They, they, comes in, they come in all shapes, forms, sizes. I know and, it. You know. I have said before that everybody experiences the paranormal in different ways. And it's not that one mm. one person has to experience it differently than others, but there's such a variety of experiences that sometimes make absolutely no sense because there's no set pattern to these experiences. Right. Some of them repeat, but there's such a variety. I know. Well, that was a cool story. I, I thought it was. That's, that's why well, I chose that one. We've got yeah, um, like, a few minutes. Yeah, a few more minutes. So I'm going to read um, a story from from the same book. It's titled Dead Man Walking. It's by Kaysen Kai is his last name, K-A-I. And it's about um, an area in southeast Michigan where he was patrolling. And he writes, it's cold in southeast Michigan in January, bitterly mm. cold the closer you get to Lake Erie. I couldn't live in Michigan for, I don't care how much Colder than it is here, oh. yeah. Oh, it's damp too. Okay, so I was patrolling a part of an area that is busy in the summer months with boaters and tourists, but in the winter, it's just deathly desolate. One night I was carefully driving through a snowstorm on a road that leads down to the lake. That's when I saw him, a man, walking down the road ahead of me, dressed in a suit and a fedora, the kind of hat worn by men in the 1940s. Wrapped around him was a coarse gray blanket. He walked with a purpose as if he had somewhere to go. It was 20 degrees out, snowing hard, and the man was walking on a road where no one should be. The guy had to be mentally ill to be dressed like that in such horrific weather in the middle of nowhere. I notified dispatch that I was going to make contact with the guy. I rolled up on him. He was driving in his cruiser, so we rolled up on him and positioned my car so he was next to his right front fender. At this distance, I could clearly see every detail of his clothing, the rough texture of his blanket, and that 70-year-old hat. I looked down to switch on my alley lights, and when I looked up, he was gone. Thinking he had fallen down, I got out of my cruiser and hurried around the other side of the car. There was absolutely no sign of him, nothing. It was snowing, and there should have been footprints, but there were none. Given the terrible weather, it was now a possible rescue mission. So I called another officer to assist. We thoroughly looked everywhere, but we came up with nothing. No guy, no tracks, and nothing. Once I got got at the end of my shift and back to the station, I got teased quite a bit because I had wasted a good amount of time looking for a man that wasn't there. But still, I remained puzzled. I had seen him as plain as day, and then he vanished. 
At one point, shortly after this happened, a senior officer pulled me aside. He told me something that I didn't know. That road, he said, is notorious for paranormal activity. In fact, not many officers will drive down it after dark. Apparently, at the beginning of the 1940s to the 1960s, the mob used to dump bodies down there because it was the nearest unpopulated area from Detroit. Mm. He also added, it was common for them to wrap the body in a rug or a blanket. Okay. So, a retired officer told me that one time he was parked in a lot next to the infamous road when he saw a horse-drawn wagon go by. When the officer turned onto the road, it was gone, and this happened in the middle of the day. I've always thought about ghosts, and I thought they were supposed to be blurry and transparent, but the man I saw was so clear I could see every detail of him. Either way, that's the only one I ever want to see. You don't want to see anymore. Huh? No. So he must have been one of those dumped bodies by the yeah, mob. Yeah, and uh, there's another case where he looked uh, solid. Yep, he looked solid yep. and just vanishes in, a, in an instant. And no footprints. No footprints yep. in the snow. And, you know, you have to investigate something like that, but you come up with nothing. You come up with no evidence, just personal experience. Yeah, you have a hard time explaining that, and I'm sure they were kind of ticked off at him for seemingly wasting everybody's time. Yeah. But what are you going to do? But, yeah, I know. It's it's his job. Yeah, you've got to investigate. That's what he's out there for, and it's another case of personal experience. Yeah. Is, is It's not going to convince anybody else but you. That's right. But, but still, it, it has to be considered. Personal experience, yeah, take it into consideration. Did I say, yeah, that was by Carrie L. Wood. That was dead. I'm sorry. No, I wanted to. It was by Kaysen Kai. Dead Man Walking was the name of that out of Christensen's book. Okay. Well, it's just about at the bottom of the hour. Just about. Shall we go ahead and take that bottom of the hour break? Why don't we do that? Okay, you're listening to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience. We'll be right back. Supernatural Magazine, one of the UK's top paranormal magazines, provides support to Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience. It is the magazine's goal to bring every aspect of supernatural news and research from around the world under one roof to create a universal platform for all those interested in the supernatural. More information is available at supernaturalmagazine.com. And you are listening to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience on the Paranormal UK Radio Network.
and we're back. You're listening to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal, Paranormal Experience on WSCA. I love that song, you know? The Pretty, blue, yeah. The Blue, David Gilmore. That's, that's yeah. an excellent song. So, we're talking about police ghost stories. And you're not saying anything, so you're probably waiting because it's my turn. Well, only if you'd like to go, Willie. I've got a couple of real good ones lined up. Hey, does that mean I don't? Well, no. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm waiting on, on the edge of my seat. On the edge of your seat. Yeah, and this on. one is also from ghostsandghouls.com, and it is called The Abandoned Hospital. Ah. And uh, Hospitals and asylums are spooky, as well as prisons, too, old prisons. Oh, yeah. Oh, old prisons. So, Which hospital yeah. is this one? It's an abandoned hospital. And doesn't say where. Yeah, it does not say. It doesn't give a state or a city. Nope. Nope. No. Okay. No. No. No uh, clue as to where it is. But okay. they say, uh, a gentleman is a police officer. But a few years back, he was working as a security guard at a hospital. Sounds cool, doesn't it? And it was, except for the fact it was nine p.m. to seven a.m. I worked alone, and the hospital I guarded was abandoned. All throughout the bewitching hours. <clears throat> yeah. Spooky. So I, I was always a third shift kind of person, so I, I don't get night jitters or scare easily. But this place could do it to the best of them. Every night I would walk or ride a wheelchair. You could have a little fun, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ride around the hallways in a wheelchair. Uh, around the halls that were supposed to be empty and unused. Every night, I would end up having to close doors and relock them. I would walk one floor, move up to the next, and continue on. I got a little shaky when an hour after already walking the hallway, I would have to turn turn off the same hall lights and close the same doors again in the building. Or when I would be walking the hall, and then I would hear footsteps on the floor above me. Mm. Because I knew I was the only one in the building. The only one in the building. Doors opening, closing, elevators moving from floor to floor, phones ringing, oh, nurse call light going on, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that would have scared me. Over here. <laughs> yeah, uh, your computer's haunted too. Yeah, it is. Uh, there were only three times, though, that I got this. Oh, I really hate this kind of feeling. Uh, the first time I was checking offices on the fourth floor. There was a light on in a locked hallway. Yeah, no surprise. This hallway hadn't been renovated since the place was built, short of electricity, so everything was from the 1920s. Wow. So I unlocked the door, flipped the lights, walked out, relocked the door, and turned to leave. And then behind me, flip of a light switch. Through the frosted glass, I see lights went on. So I just left that hall alone for the rest of the night. I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave now. Brave guy. Se second time, uh, he was riding an elevator between floors. I was taking the elevator to the top floor when at about uh, between four and five, I hear laughing and muffled talking. The ghosts are probably laughing at him. They probably are for <laughs> running from the other hallway. Uh, I kept getting louder and louder as I got higher. And when the elevator makes it to the floor number five, the doors swing open, and what's there? Absolute silence. Nothing there. Of course, every light in the floor was on, even in the patient rooms. That's going to so, be frustrating, though. <laughs> yeah, I know it. 
So uh, I checked high and low, and not a single, single living, breathing person in that place except for me. The third incident, and the worst of all, was just an average night. I'm on the lower floor locking a door in a corridor. The door had a glass middle, but on the back side it was covered with white tape. So the room itself led to a dark room, and the hallway a few feet behind me was partially lit, so the glass acted like a perfect mirror. Oh. Everything seemed normal. Key in the door, turn the key. But he saw something in the door, didn't he? Lock the door, the door clicks, and then behind me, I see a full outline of a person walk past me in the hallway. Clear as day, just as a full shadow of a person walked past. I froze, but only for a second, and then I ran into the hall after the supposed person. No one was there. Mm. Silence. Just an empty hallway. So that's that's the kind of things that happen in an abandoned, empty hospital in the dark of the night. You'd have to be crazy to want to break into a haunted building like that anyway. You know? Well, to break in, yeah, because then you get arrested. But uh, to be. But just think of the be, experiences that the ghost be, might have be, with a burglar. To be legally there, though, like the security guard, that's, that could be a cool job. Well, you think so? Well, in a place like that, yeah. Well, Willie, since your hair is white, your hair probably wouldn't turn any whiter, but I bet that's, your hair might right. fall out if you got scared. <laughs> yeah, it might fall out. I don't think you'd want to try that job. <laughs> I would well, suggest no. you leave something like that alone. Things happen. Things happen. Uh Boy, you couldn't couldn't pay me to take a job like that. I couldn't pay you, huh? Oh, you know me. I like the darkest, creepiest places, like the. I know. The dark, creepy prisons and stuff like that. Where where do I always go when we go on an investigation? I go seek out the darkest place. Yeah. By myself. Yeah, you do. Must be my. You're weird. <laughs> okay, I'm weird. I was just I was just gonna say it must be my dark personality, but okay, I'm weird. Well you do have a dark side. <laughs> I do. Well then, how about a, something a little bit lighter? This is okay. but not terribly lighter, but it's um it's called Oklahoma and it comes under the title of Divine Intervention. And this actually was taken it's sourced from um News on Six. So it was apparently put on the news. So in Oklahoma, two officers were patrolling an unfamiliar road in the country. And one side of the road was tree-lined and the other side was lined with pastures. A lot of what we do is just police instinct, one of the officers told the news cameras. And the other is just blind luck. But what happened last night had nothing to do with either. It was what I would say is divine intervention. He goes on to recount that the officers were patrolling when something caught the driver's eye off to his right. They were on a gravel road, practically hidden in the weeds. They slowed down, and that's when they saw the taillight of an old truck about 30 feet off the road in the tall grass. 30 minutes later, it would have been dark and impossible to see. The officers approached the truck and instantly knew something was wrong by the way the man was acting. When the driver shifted into reverse, they thought for a moment that he was going to try to ram them. But then he hesitated, and the officers quickly approached him. At first, we didn't see the little two-year-old girl in the truck. 
The man had his pants undone, and I asked him what he was what was going on. Then they saw the child. One officer grabbed the man, and the other grabbed the little girl. That's when the call came over the police radio that the girl was missing. The description of the girl and her clothing matched perfectly to the child that they had just saved. Uh, the twice-convicted sex offender is now behind bars. Good. So they just acted on instinct to investigate what was going on there. Darn mm. good thing. You said that was a little bit lighter. It didn't sound too much lighter to well, me. Well, <laughs> I guess it wasn't terribly lighter. <laughs> but it had a good ending. You have a dark side, too. You're weird. <laughs> you were just waiting for an opportunity to say that, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Far from it. Well, if you have another story, short one, I've got I've got a couple more lined up. So, hey, I got a, I kind of like this one. I think this one's pretty cool. Okay. And this one is from a site called policeone.com. And speaking of one, it's called cell one is empty. Oh yes. So uh, the officer says, I've seen a lot of things in my career. Things that would make a citizen doubt my sanity, from being dispatched to chase a UFO to responding to calls of ghosts. But the most unusual thing that happened to me was witnessed by several other officers and a dispatcher. So that kind of backs him up right there. One evening, I had brought in a guy for domestic violence, and he was a bit rowdy. So I was joined in booking by my sergeant and another patrolman. I'm in the process of booking Mr. Tough Guy. When I glanced into cell <laughs> one, there was a guy in there, short haircut, glasses, white T-shirt. He was just staring at us. Okay, that's kind of weird, but I just ignored him because I didn't want him to start banging on the window and demanding a phone call or something. I was too busy. <laughs> so I finished the booking process and escort Mr. Tough Guy to his cell. And as we were all walking past cell number one, the guy in the cell just stood there, never saying a word or moving, just just stood there staring at us. So we all then leave the booking and go about our business. And sometime later, the sergeant asked me to check the paperwork for the prisoners to see if maybe any were ready to uh, transport to the county jail. So I grabbed the paperwork and go back into the booking to do a head count. And I walked in and cell number one is empty. So I, I, I panicked, and I told the sergeant, and he panicked. And he, he and I both uh, began to make phone calls to the detectives to see if they had moved a guy or had released him. They all say, no, they hadn't been into booking at all. So I then checked the computer and paperwork again, and a head count was accurate. No, no one had been booked no to that cell. No one had been placed in cell number one. So we went back to the dispatch office to check the surveillance video for booking. We rerounded the footage to where I could be seen booking my prisoner, and then fast-forwarded a little bit to the point where we all walked past cell number one, and as soon as we walked past the door, the guy in number one was there, but suddenly, blinks out, just disappeared. He disappeared on camera? Out of existence. So we were all freaked out <laughs> by the occurrence. Believe me, I wonder why. Uh, so then later we tried to transfer the video to a DVD and a USB, and the guy in the cell just did not appear. Wow. 
We still hear and see stuff every now and then, and prisoners in the detox can then be uh, can be seen talking to someone in the direction of cell one, <laughs> even though it appears to be empty. To this day, I'm wary of going into booking along. Uh, that was a uh, Marco Castillo. That's, that's Marco what? Castillo. Castillo. Uh, uh, I think that's pretty creepy. That's what I would call a dead stare, wouldn't you? I love it. I like it. I like it. Okay. All right. You're not weird after all. I'll take it back. (laughs) Um, Boy, how do you explain that? It appears on on film, but it doesn't transfer. Yeah, it was on the surveillance videos, but it it wouldn't transfer to the DVD or the USB. I'm wondering if maybe they recorded a different resolution. Shouldn't matter. Should, you wouldn't should, think so. Yeah, it should transfer. So it's just another one of those strange, unexplainable things. Unexplainable paranormal things. Whoa, that that was um, that's pretty interesting. I love it when you've got was. the hard evidence, but you, but then it disappears. But then it disappears. <laughs> yeah. But I, they still had it on the surveillance video, I guess. Yeah. They, and they just couldn't transfer it to anywhere else. And also the fact that the evidence itself just disappears off the camera. Yeah. That's what I mean, yeah. Okay, my story here is um, under the section called On Patrol in the News. This happened in St. Louis County, Missouri. And um, this was in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. That's where it was originally found. What I like about these is you usually get an idea of the location as well as, you know, the local location as well as the state or county or whatever. So this was St. Louis County in Missouri. On one foggy October night, a veteran officer was patrolling an area called LeMay Ferry Road when he saw what appeared to be an elderly couple walking near the Park Lawn Cemetery. It was 3 a.m. The man was wearing a brown suit and the woman a light-colored dress, clothes hardly appropriate given the damp and chilly evening of October. Officer DeCandia later told the St. Louis Dispatch in an interview, I honestly thought they were people visiting a grave and perhaps they had Alzheimer's because there's a nursing home close by. Mm, Escapees. So that makes sense. So when the officer saw the woman take the man's hand and the two of them walk into the graveyard, he decided to check them out. But when he turned into the cemetery, they were gone. That's when I got the chills, he said. I'd watch them for a good 20 to 30 seconds. After, I mean, Officer DeCandia patrolled the same area for another two years, but never saw them again. He's a detective now, and he still can't get the image out of his mind. It's something I won't soon forget. I was tired, but I know what I saw. I know what I saw. I know what I saw. There they go again, disappearing. Yep. Again, why is it that, why do they disappear? It, what What is the point that is reached that they vanish? Now, I would think that it probably is a different vibratory rate. Maybe that's it. Maybe they they are in our dimension and then they just slip out. But what is the difference? Is it like a portal that closes? Or is there a change in the energy pattern that we can't see them anymore? Or is it something completely different? As in? That they they have the ability to... Uh, be visible or invisible at will, and they're just screwing with people. 
It could be. That's always a possibility. But there's got to be something that marks the change. Mm. What is that? Is it a personal decision? Yeah, it, I don't know. It could be. I know. Well, yeah. You never know. No. Mm. No, you don't. No, you don't. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> we may someday, Willie. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I got a short one here, but it's kind of cool. Actually, I got two short ones. I don't know which one is cooler. I'll go with this one. Uh, I found it on the website. I figure which one it was, but that's okay because it's also in Ingrid Dean's book. Um, one of the uh, traffic officers at my agency was catching up to a DUI suspect. He uh, had no lights or sirens going. The suspect was easily three to 400 yards ahead of him. It was about 3.30 in the morning on a very long stretch of semi-rural road. The left side of the street was lit by streetlights, and the right side was dark. Both cars were moving pretty fast. They were doing about 80 miles an hour or so. So the dash cam video showed the suspect vehicle lose something from the rear of the car, and it turned out it was the suspect's rear bumper. Yeah, that's strange. After the bumper stopped tumbling, the video showed a black figure dark out into the roadway from the left, the side which was lit by the streetlights. It picked up and moved the bumper out of the way, and then, the, and then it darted off to the right side of the roadway where it was dark. The video showed nothing on the right side of the road when the officer drove by the area. The officer did not see this occur at the time, but instead he only found it when he reviewed his video in the car to find out where the suspect had lost his bumper. The dark figure had no reflect, reflective clothing on, as most joggers or dog walkers do in that area. But what would a dog walker walk be doing out at 3.30 in the morning? Mm. Well, yeah, the dog. And it was definitely in the right place at the right time, as the officer most likely would have been hit the bumper, and at that speed, 80 miles an hour, could very well have caused a crash. Mm. So I would say that was a case of a spirit being being there to help. But what what type of a spirit but would you call that? I mean, to what end? Just oh, uh, just to get a bumper out of the road to to uh, prevent a crash. I mean, he saw he saw what was happening that the uh, police car was going to hit the bumper and probably crash. Oh, so I he see. Ran, yeah, ran out and uh, and grabbed it out of the way. So. Maybe there had been an accident there at that spot well, earlier. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. yeah that so that that guy he, might have been hanging around? Yeah, or? that might be where he came from, yeah. Yeah. But it's... it was just like he was he was there at the right time, the right place to, to save this guy from, from being hurt. So Dropping in and dropping out. Yeah, yeah. Pick Quick up visitation. Pick up, pick up the bumper, throw it off the side of the road, and disappear. Okay. All right. Well, I've got one more divine intervention in the news. In the, the news. In the news. This happened in Utah, and it's a bit sad, um, but it does have a, uh, albeit a slightly happy ending. Okay. All right. A Utah woman was driving home at 10 p.m. with her 18-month-old daughter beside her in a car seat. For some unknown reason, the mother lost control. The car went off the road into the Spanish Fork River, killing her and leaving the toddler hanging upside down in her car seat 
and just above the freezing water. Ooh. The child would remain upside down for the next 13 hours. The next day, a fisherman called the police and said he had spotted the overturned car. Three police officers and four firefighters arrived at the scene and all waded into the freezing water. In fact, it was so cold that seven men were subsequently transported to the hospital and treated for hypothermia. What happened during the rescue has left the men and everyone that hears about it baffled. The only people in the submerged car were the deceased mother and the child, one officer said. We were down in the water, and we heard a distinct voice say, Help me, help me. Now, they're in the water. Another officer adamantly said, It wasn't just something in our heads, and it wasn't the child. To me, it was as plain as day. One of the officers even answered the voice in saying, We're trying. We're trying our best to get you out of there. Another officer added, We've gotten together to talk about it, and all four of us can swear we heard something in co inside the car saying, Help, but we're not sure where the voice came from. The but it uh, wasn't the little girl, I take it. <sighs> no, because he says... Um, we were down in the water and heard a distinct voice say, help me, help me. And it just wasn't something in our heads, and it wasn't the child. Oh, it wasn't the child. It okay. wasn't the child, and to me it was plain as day. However, the baby did survive. Well, Thirteen hours upside that, down. Yeah. In the cold. Just in the cold the and above water. the freezing. Yeah. It's horrible. What a horrible story, although she, she lived, but and the mother wonder, passed away. I wonder if she was conscious all that time or part of the time or I don't know. It doesn't say. I mean, imagine being in that situation and plus being there with your, with your mother dead, too. You know? Well, 18 months old, you're probably not aware of it, but 18 months well, old, you're not yeah, aware much of true. anything. Yeah. Why won't mommy talk to me? That's true. Oh, I just Can you imagine being suspended upside down? No. For 13 hours? That was, that's no. horrible in itself. No, I can't imagine that at all. That it's one of those miracle stories that it's kind of uh, does your heart good to hear about. Fortunately, the mother oh, yeah, passed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good and it's bad, yeah. 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 So, let's Probably see. have time for, well, we start a little bit yeah. later tonight. Yeah, we, yeah, so. we were, were a little bit yeah. late. So. Uh, I got this one from thoughtcatalog.com. Uh, I worked as a special... Uh, no, not a special. I worked as a police officer in a small town in rural Nebraska. It was back in the 90s, and I was patrolling through town in winter. That's even colder than uh, that other place there, Michigan. <laughs> Michigan. We had uh, several houses in town, uh, several abandoned houses in town, but one of them seemed to have the attraction of copper thieves. You know, people oh, going oh, yeah. and stealing copper pipes, you know. I read this story, and I, I'm glad yeah. you chose it because it is... Quite interesting. So we were told to keep an eye on it. So I drove around by it around 7, 7 p.m., and since it sat at a corner lot, I had a clear view of all four sides of the house. As I drove around the corner, nothing looks out of ordinary, so I just continue on my way, and about two hours later, I drove by once again, and the back door was wide open. I know that back door was not open when I drove by it earlier, 
and I got out and looking at the snow on the ground around the house, there were no footprints. So I think, hmm, what the hell? <laughs> That's uh, rather odd. So I called dispatch and I told them I'm investigating an open door at the address and asked for a county sheriff to start heading my way. So I walked to the open door, pulled out my flashlight and shined it inside. The house has obviously been gutted for the most part. The plaster walls have been torn down, debris piles everywhere. Since there were no footprints in the snow around the uh, door outside, other than mine, and with all the dust on the floor inside and not showing any footprints, I just chalk it up to the wind. Or maybe the door just opened on its own. That can happen, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, sure, why not? So I was about to uh, secure the door and just leave when I heard a loud thump come from upstairs followed by what sounded like kids laughing. So I enter the house and yell out, Police Department, come downstairs. More of what sounds like kids playing. I tell dispatch that it sounds like there are kids in the house and start making my way through the kitchen into the living room where the stairs are, all the while cautiously checking the main floor. Two more times I hear something upstairs, but since I've had no response, I start thinking, well, eh, maybe it's just an animal. <laughs> but still, I hear what I'd swear was kids laughing. So I head upstairs, and uh, all gets quiet. The upstairs is a relatively small with a hallway at the top of the stairs that has one bedroom on the right, one straight ahead at the end of the hall, and one bedroom on the left. As I get to the top of the stairs, I hear a thump in the bedroom to the left. I carefully peek around the door, and it's an empty room, Nobody in there, just a small pile of plaster and wood debris in the middle of the floor. And no kidding, sitting on top of the pile of debris was a page torn out of a child's book with a picture of a police officer on it. So at that point, the hair on my neck stood back, oh. stood up. I got out of that room quickly, cleared the other rooms upstairs, and got out of there. I told dispatch nobody was in the house. I locked the back door. I left, and I never went back again. Sayonara. <laughs> <laughs> I've had about enough of this place. Yeah, you can keep your copper. That is really eerie, isn't it? It is. That's very strange. Very strange. Um, I think we've about run out of time, haven't we? Oh, uh, have we? Well, yeah, well, actually, we started about two minutes late, so we're, we're two minutes over now. So I guess we're about out of time. Oh, all right, then. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> yeah, I, know I know. We got more good stuff to do. Yeah, but. I know. We'll just have to do this again. Yep. Uh, but I hope everybody enjoyed these stories. I thought they're really pretty interesting, given that they came from, you know, uh, police officers with logical thinking and just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Yep, just the facts. <laughs> just the facts. I don't want to hear anything about ghosts, just the facts. Hey, that's Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience. And everybody, hope you have a great evening. Thank you for listening, and happy holidays. You have been listening to Spirit Radio, The Paranormal Experience, with your hosts, Willie Hassel and Lynn Nickerson, on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. In this one of many possible worlds, all for the best, or something's our test. It is what it is, and whatever Time is still the infinite jest The arrow flies when you dream
Watchmaker keeps to his schemes. The hours tickle. 